Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, happy Friday, and welcome to The Hash. You are watching us on Coindesk TV. And if you are listening to us on your walk or run or drive, you're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sanasi. Will Foxley and Adam V. Levine are here today. And I got the first story. So let's get right into it. So there's been an arrest in the Tornado Cash saga. A suspected 29 year old developer has been arrested in the Netherlands, according to a release by the Fiscal Information and Investigation Service. The block reported the developer is Alexei Pertsev, as confirmed by his wife. The FIOD statement said on Wednesday, August 10th, the FIOD arrested a 29-year-old man in Amsterdam. He is suspected of involvement in concealing criminal financial flows and facilitating money laundering through the mixing of cryptocurrencies through the decentralized Ethereum mixing service Tornado Cash. Multiple arrests are not ruled out. Also, Tornado Cash's website and Discord both appear to be offline. Will this is big news. I didn't think we were going to see arrests in this. This is a developer who's, who has allegedly worked on the tool. What do you make of this news? Yeah, between BlackRock getting involved in Bitcoin, the merge coming up in a few weeks from now, and Tornado Cash, we really have our headlines for the year. We have two big positives, and then we have one huge stinking negative in the middle of this, and that is Tornado Cash being sanctioned by OFAC. And now it seems to be extending to multilateral parties, including outside the United States. Uh, here we see the Netherlands is actually taking action against a developer. And this has really pissed off crypto Twitter and just coders everywhere because what this person has done is essentially taken free speech, moved it into code, and they have been arrested for that. Uh, the news about who was arrested came via the block, found out this morning where they talked with the wife of the person arrested. And uh, just arrest in the middle of the day, like you see with a lot of these things where someone is just scooped off off the street and taken in for questioning. Uh, it's extremely unfortunate, and it really does put, uh, put crypto not only within the crosshairs, but also puts a little emphasis on where we are at in terms of crypto adoption. Governments are coming for people. They're taking advantage of the situation. 
and they're going after people uh, who are involved with some of these DeFi applications. Uh, this has happened in the past with Bitcoin mixers. Like there has been, like Blender.io was one that happened a few years ago. These things do occur. But for such a popular DeFi application like Tornado Cash, which a lot of the ecosystem has used, this moves it to another level. And on top of that, the fact that they're going after coders and developers in the space, and they're going to probably arrest more, is also very concerning. There's a lot of people who have helped build Tornado Cash. It's a very large ecosystem. It had its own token, Torn, has a DAO, has lobbies, uh, it has a Discord channel. Like, are all those people vulnerable to this? I'm not quite sure at this point, but it's pretty terrible headline to end the week. Adam, to you. Yeah, uh, my mother used to say, if you can't be a shining example, at least be a horrible warning. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing here today. Um, really, all the regulators can do when it comes to issues like this is they can try and scare people. Because the reality of it is, is that, you know, software is speech, and at least in the United States, that's protected. Now, you'll notice that this arrest happened outside of the United States. And that's interesting, because it means that if not actually happening, then there is at least the very much appearance of coordination when it comes to tornado cash across multiple countries and multiple jurisdictions. And that's something I'm never excited to see, because again, it means that there's stuff going on in the background that we don't know about. And we're just starting to see it as these sort of cases come to light. Now, the kind of reality of this is that if Satoshi Nakamoto had had the uh, you know, lack of foresight to have exposed his true identity or their true identity, then we would have seen something like this many, many years ago uh, around Satoshi. Because again, to the extent that you can accuse Tornado Cash of doing something like this, well, I mean, heck, all of Bitcoin, you know, in the eyes of most traditional governments, constitute the same basic type of thing. Neutrality is not allowed because the systems that we use to transfer money today do not have neutrality. They are not neutral systems. They're not intended to transmit money. They're intended to transmit money that complies with certain political aims or certain geopolitical sort of goals. And so as a result of that, it means the truly neutral systems, which on their face should be, of course, allowed because neutrality should be a better thing than these sort of kind of uh, like partisan, uh, you know, decision makings about who can and can't use these systems. Like that's just, it's not allowed, right? You're not allowed to do these types of things. And it's really unfortunate because the world needs neutrality and the world needs tools that don't care about your politics, don't care about your opinions, just care, are you a human being? If you're a human being, then you should have certain abilities to use certain types of technologies, especially neutral ones. And if you're not, then I guess we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not concerned about putting dogs on the blockchain. Anyways, it's a sad story here. And it's always sad to see this type of person gone after because the types of people who they're going to wind up putting in jail for this are exactly the worst type of people to put in jail for this, who will be punished the absolute most by it. And it's just, again, really sad to see that rather than engage with these things in open ways and create systems that actually, you know, like serve the purpose that are the reason people are using these things in the first place. Instead, you just go after kind of the weakest link in the chain and really just try to make an example to scare people off. So it's unfortunate to see, not surprising to see. And I do think that, again, as the stakes rise around this stuff, we have to see more of this because otherwise they'll essentially be conceding that, you know, crypto is going to win. Jen? I think this, again, to the conversation we were having yesterday is all about power and fear at a really high level. So the statement about the arrest said the man has allegedly been involved in facilitating criminal financial flows and money laundering. I would just love to have a conversation with the people who are issuing this statement. What constitutes allowing criminal flows and money laundering is building a tool. Does it really fall under that umbrella? Because then I think we can look at a lot of traditional financial systems and say, you know, the people involved in developing or setting up 
a, a financial product that was used by bad actors are involved in money laundering. I think this is just such a really horrible precedent to set. And Adam, I took the sad story, so you didn't have to today, but we'll, I'll pass it back to you. I think I saw your hand go up. Yeah, just some numbers to throw out there that are interesting. Post-sanction, there's about $62 million withdrawn from Tornado Cash, about 15% of the total locked volume before has been removed from Tornado Cash as people are trying to exit that ecosystem. At the same time, if you're trying to exit the ecosystem, there's a few barriers. One, right? You are taking into consideration that OFAC might come and slam you for withdrawing your funds because the guidance around this is not especially clear. Maybe you are able to take your funds and just take them out. No one's going to say anything. And the day you remove your funds from an illicit program, but OFAC might come and say, no, those funds are tainted. They've been touched by this project. You need to lock them up. You need to let the government know about it. And then in an appeals process, maybe you can get those assets back in the future. We don't really know because there hasn't been a lot of guidance on this. Uh, but there's also a lot of people who are trying to withdraw their funds and they need access to that money, but exchanges are not allowing you to use it anymore because there's been blacklists. So if you're trying to withdraw from Tornado Cash made to some sort of centralized exchange, kind of hard to say that you're going to get that money because it's already the, the iron curtain's already coming down for a lot of people. And it's hard to withdraw your funds. So it's another sad story of retail getting wrecked by a very reckless regulatory move. Years after this, this application launched, you know, this application launched in in 2020, and people were aware of it. And if the government was more upfront about this, if they're going to do something about this, then I don't think as many people would have gotten hurt, especially arrests this late in the game. I mean, if you're 29, you're working on a DeFi application, can you believe that like this would happen? Like this, this long into building this project seems a little ludicrous to me. But we can move on to the next story. I think I'm actually up next. We're talking about Huobi and it might get purchased by SBF and maybe Justin Stone is involved, as always. According to new reporting, Leon Lee, who is the majority stakeholder of Huobi, is looking to exit from the ecosystem. He has about 60% stake in the exchange. They're trying to value the exchange about 2 to $3 billion. He's trying to sell his majority holdings to either SBF or Justin Soon. Justin Soon has not commented as of now, uh, besides a tweet saying that he does not have really much anything to say at the moment. This is also reported according to some investor notes that were let out. So we don't quite know what happens. For Huobi itself, it is a very large exchange. It had a lot of issues coming out of China's basically blanket ban of crypto last year, where they banned Bitcoin mining, peer-to-peer trading in crypto, and a lot of other things. But they survived it. And there's still a pretty large exchange, especially off the shores of the United States. Adam, I want to throw this one over to you. What's your take on it? To me, it just seems like, hey, we're going to see more M&A deals in the ecosystem. And large exchanges like SBS, FTX are going to be able to scoop up rivals. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's exactly right. I think that what you're seeing here is sort of a consolidation phase in the industry that has really not, not begun you know, right now. It's been spinning up over, call it the last nine months. But I do expect that to increase. And I expect to see more and more things like this. The reality of it is, is that if you have a company that's worth $3 billion and there are companies out there who are willing to value it at that and give you that money in actual money or in equity in theirs, then it basically means that you're done. You might be the guy who's like, yeah, I actually want to be Elon Musk. And actually, it's more important for me to have $80 billion. But got to tell you, having a single billion dollars, that's pretty good, relatively speaking, right? Like that's never need to worry about money again for the rest of your life and also your kids and also their kids and also their kids kind of money. So with that in mind, again, like this just makes sense to me. Like if that type of deal is on the table, why wouldn't you take it? 
as far as the broader point here, what I'm really waiting to see here is what type of consolidation do we see and how many big exchanges do we wind up with? Because as this ecosystem continues to grow, we're going to see a bigger and bigger difference between the upstart players who are just getting started and are attacking very specific niches versus these big monolithic platforms that are essentially the equivalent of, you know, your, you know, traditional New York stock exchange or something like that. So it's a very interesting situation. I think we will see more of these. And I'm not at all surprised to see that Justin Sun is out there contradicting whatever it is that's said about him. That seems to be pretty par for the course. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, you know, FTX has really been on a tear lately, scooping up uh, platforms with licenses and jurisdictions that they don't have. I think it's been a really clever business move. I'm going to take a line from Zach, which was borrowed from Kanye West. No one man should have all this power. To Adam, to what you were saying, it just really seems like we are building up these giants and people and companies that are really similar to those that were built during Web 2. And are we just kind of replicating what happened in Web 2 and not focusing on the decentralization part that is like the foundation ethos of Web 3, right? We talk about decentralization. We talk about people having ownership in the products and platforms that, that they participate in. But there are these giants who are really taking over the industry. They have huge sway over regulators and multiple different jurisdictions. It, it kind of seems to contradict the ethos. I mean, Adam, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So there's the blockchain cryptocurrency ethos in a broad sense. And that really speaks to on-chain activity. That really speaks to certain sort of, that speaks to kind of the base layers of these technologies. You know, what you see over and over again, though, is that decentralization comes at significant costs. And when you're talking about something like, you know, like people who want to trade and who want to you know, buy derivatives and want to do high frequency stuff, right? It just doesn't make sense to do that stuff at the blockchain decentralization level. So in practice, what you see is an incredibly competitive boiler environment, right? Where all of these different companies are competing for what is essentially both to grow the market, while at the same time also competing with each other to steal market share from each other. And Binance and FTX really have been the big winners in this. They've done it in large part by playing the game in such a way so they weren't waiting for regulation. They were actually trying to stay ahead of regulation at every sort of turn. And you'll notice that neither of these exchanges accepts U.S. customers through their primary products. That's exactly because if they were to accept U.S. customers, then but even with just one U.S. customer, they would then fall under the, under the sort of auspices um, of the U.S. regulators, which if you look at Coinbase and their experience, you can see is very, very challenging, both from a compliance standpoint and from a what are you allowed to do standpoint. CZ over at uh, Binance, you know, and FTX, they really have none of those problems, right? They can pretty much do what they want. And if it goes poorly, then they just say, oops, we didn't mean to do that. Let's stop doing that right now. We're not actually going to offer tokenized Tesla stock. Uh, just kidding. So it's that, right? Like you can have these gigantic centralized companies that are built up around this decentralized technology. And at the end of the day, again, like for as many people as are here, I would say that eight to nine out of 10 are not here for the technology, are not here for the decentralization. They are here because they think that this represents a great investing opportunity. And again, it's that type of dynamic that leads to these gigantic centralized players becoming so dominant. And this consolidation phase is exactly what you would expect at this point, just given how much money they have. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that like on the, the DEX level, it doesn't make sense to do a lot of those things. And so you're going to continue to see these centralized players perform and get larger. To me, the question is like, what is next, right? Because we saw Coinbase pop up 2017, 2018, Binance in between, and now FTX has really been stealing the show for the last two years or so. 
for that FTX didn't really exist, right? They they launched Alameda Research and FTX in 2018, 2019. And now they've really become such a large name with their own uh, name on the Miami basketball team's arena. So it's just a huge move in terms of magnitude and they continue to scoop up competitors. I'm wondering when that run stops or if it continues, Coinbase and Binance continue to dominate their respective industries, but we don't see them in the headlines quite as much as we do see FTX these days. But Adam, will give it to you for the last story. Yeah, they just become sort of part of the furniture after a little while. They get to be less exciting, but they still maintain these gigantic incumbent positions. It's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Okay, so before we get into our last story on recent episodes, certain comments have been made about how my topic is typically a little sad. (laughs) Well, folks, I have heard you, and today I found the most upbeat story that really matters. Pudgy Penguins, one of the roughly quarter billion projects that mimicked Board Ape Yacht Club following its success, is seeing prices and trading volume sharply rise on news that it's releasing a line of toys with designs licensed from the community. There aren't a lot of details yet on what that actually means, but based on the tweet, I'm going to wildly speculate that it's some sort of rewards or maybe even a revenue share uh, that could come to owners of the NFTs within this collection based on the sales of the associated toys. That's what intuitively I would think that that means. In an NFT ecosystem significantly down from the peak of last year's mania, it's, I think, not just an interesting thought experiment, but also kind of interesting to see how projects are starting to innovate when it comes to that. How do you differentiate in kind of a post-Cambrian explosion PFP project world. And I think that this is a pretty actually good idea, whether it takes off or not, different question. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I I think this is really interesting. And so my read on the story is that, so each of the NFT holders owns a non-exclusive license to the rights of of that specific NFT. So it's personal and commercial. I read through it today. So basically, if you own one of the Pudgy Penguin NFTs, you can put it on t-shirts, make toys, make replicas and sell that to the tune of $500,000. The contract does not allow you to make more than $500,000 over the 12-month period. And it sounds like the creators of the project have selected a few of the NFTs, licensed the image from the holders of those NFTs and have created these toys. And so this is really interesting to me because You can imagine a future where brands like Disney and Mattel are made from these NFT projects. And so often we ask, like, what am I getting when I, when I buy one of these digital JPEGs? Well, maybe it's a share in, in a company like Mattel. Maybe you have a share in, in the company that's going to make toys for the next generation. And so I think it's really interesting when we look at some of these licensing agreements and some of these experiments that are coming out of these NFT projects in the form of toys. Now, my next question is, I wonder who's going to buy these toys. I hope it's not just the, the owner of the NFT. I hope that they can actually create this brand and this future that I'm, I'm talking about because it feels like the next iteration of that like side hustle culture, right? I can own this NFT. I can make an income in this instance up to $500,000 for 12 months. 
But I, I just don't know if the market is there and I hope to see what happens. Will, what do you think? Oh, I would definitely buy one of these just for like putting in the background a little pillow. But let's take a look at the history of these pudgy penguins. And now, Will's History Corner with Will Foxley. Okay, so they're NFTs, so there's not that much history, but there is a little <laughs> bit to dive into. <laughs> they were launched year. first in... <laughs> yeah, we got one year history in the books. June 2021, they were launched by like, some fanfare. I saw them pop up on crypto Twitter quite a bit. Uh, they ousted the original founders in January this year, which we've seen with a few NFT projects, but typically the NFT projects seem to stick around the original team just because it adds more value to the to the project itself and to the NFT tokens as well. And then in April of this year, the brand was sold to Los Angeles-based entrepreneur and pudgy penguin holder for 750 ETH in order to take more control over the collection's future. So we got a little history there and we have more history in terms of like NFTs themselves. As we see that like this does happen from time to time. A lot of times the communities try to basically take control of the NFTs in order to pump the value of the NFT at the end of the day. That's really what it's about. Uh, there's also some licensing stuff that's involved with here. Uh, the other day, we saw that Moonbirds changed its licensing for NFTs to CCO uh, from its original licensing scheme. What this basically means is that anyone can use Moonbirds licensing. They're able to commercialize it. But in the original sense, like Moonbirds was an NFT, so only the NFT holder should be able to take that and commercialize the rights to it. Do not believe Pudgy Penguin has done that. And that's a good thing, Pudgy Penguin holders who want to make more money on their Pudgy Penguins. Adam, to you. Yeah, I think that this is, there's the headline part of the story and then there's the uh, subtext of it. There's some subtext here, which is interesting. When you start talking about revenue flows, you are almost always in the world of cryptocurrency talking about taking something that is probably not a security and turning it into a security in the eyes of the U.S. regulators. Now, what they're doing with Pudgy Penguins is interesting because it's a licensing deal where they're saying that owning the NFT means that you own certain rights. And so then it's not a company distributing money. It's a company who is licensing something back to you. So it's actually a really clever way to potentially use it in this fashion. Now, I don't know if that's going to work. I think it would be really interesting to talk to a lawyer like Preston Byrne uh, you know, and kind of get their take on this type of thing. Does this become a security at that point? Because people have, for as long as they've been doing token projects, whether you're talking about NFTs or fungible tokens, everyone has always wanted yield. And as we you know, are looking at uh, the merge coming up with Ethereum, you know, that's another question there is, given that there will now be effectively a way to get yield natively from that asset, does that mean that that's a security? Because it's a big problem if these things become securities in terms of the way that they're used today. So I don't have any answers for us here, but I think that those questions are going to be the ones that I will be very closely watching. Jen? It's going to be really interesting to watch that play out in a court because you look traditionally at intellectual property, that's not a security. You can license intellectual property if you have a film or a series, you can license that to platforms like Netflix and Hulu and make money off of that. That's not a security. But then you have this NFT, you have this non-fungible token that's now attached to the intellectual property. I think it will be interesting to see how regulators connect those two, if they connect those two, um, and what conclusion they come to. I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing. But Will, last thoughts? Yeah, last thought for me, I'm wondering, is this security if you're paid out in pudgy penguin pillows. That doesn't seem oh, quite like the yield the Securities Administration is going to go for. But maybe <laughs> well, maybe that's the new securities law. Well, the, the way that the I standard would be judged... I think you should join the regulator, Will. 
should. Okay. Crack down. But the way the, the way the standard is judged is more along the lines of are you doing something to make this value or are you relying on another company to do it? I think that with the way that the licensing terms are set up, you could make an argument either way because the person has the ability to commercialize it without the company. But if the company is what they're primarily expecting, and especially if they buy it with the expectation that that's going to be true, then that's where you get into trouble. Again, like if there were like definitions for these things that weren't like, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And it would be a lot more clear on this stuff. But a lot of this stuff is really kind of open to interpretation. Ultimately, we'll see what happens. My suspicion is that to the extent that there is any problem, Pudgy Penguins is going to run for a year or two anyways before we hear anything about it, just based on the pace that we've seen so far. So it's an interesting story. (laughs) We'll leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk about those Pudgy Penguins again. That's it for this week. We hope you all have a great weekend. Thanks for hanging with us. On the hash, I'm Jen. That's Will beside me and Adam beside Will. Thank you for watching us on Coindesk TV and listening on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Have a great weekend and we will see you on Monday. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.